Trinity Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, we are uh, motoring along now in our series on the book of 1 John. Uh, this is now the third message in our series on 1 John, um, and it's the series we've entitled In the Light. And what we've seen so far in this book is that John wrote this letter to believers to encourage them to have an intimate relationship with Christ, intimate fellowship with Him. Not just a saving moment in the past, but an ongoing, everyday, personal relationship with their Savior. That's why John wrote the book. And we saw the first week how that relationship is going to be characterized by living in the light of God's revelation, where we confess our sin to Him and where He has provided this incredible work for us and He's calling us to obedience. Then last week, we saw how that obedience takes a particular expression many times, and that is that we are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. This week, we're going to continue that thought and talk a little more about how we are able to love others as Christ has called us to do. Um, but before we do that, before we look at that today, let me, let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for today, and, and thank you for this, this body of people that you have, have gathered here to hear from you. Father, I just pray that you would work through me today. I pray that you would speak through me so that we could hear your words. Father, we don't need to hear from me today, but we all desperately need to hear from you. So, Father, I pray your word would be alive and active, even as you've promised, and that, that we would, would hear from you. Father, I pray that you would protect me from saying anything you wouldn't want said, but if I say anything you wouldn't want said, Father, I pray it would just quickly be forgotten. But any words I share today, Father, that you would want us to hear that are your words and your truth, I pray that we would remember them and we would believe them, we would walk forward in them in the power of your Spirit, that we might be changed more, shaped more into the image of your Son. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to tell you guys a story today, a story that goes all the way back to the 1700s. During a period of time that was known as the Seven Years' War, maybe you're familiar with it by a different name, the French and Indian War. At this time, there was a woman named Cora who lived in New York State. And Cora had been taken captive by a group of Huron Native Americans who were working with the French and had been taken back to their camp under the lead of the warrior Magua. Now, the reason why Cora had been captured and taken back to the camp of the Huron was because Magua had a bone to pick with Cora's father. See, Cora's father was a British military leader, and under his direction, British troops had killed most of Magua's family. And so he was out to get revenge by taking this British leader's daughter captive and taking her back to camp. It was Magua's intention to kill Cora in order to even the score. Well, when, when Cora gets back to camp, uh, two men come looking for her. One man by the name of Hayward, the other man by the name of Hawkeye. And Hayward and Hawkeye come to the camp 
out of great concern for Korah to rescue her. And they begin conversation with the tribal leader. Hayward is doing the translating, and as he talks to the tribal leader, he, he communicates that he would like for Korah to be set free and for him to be held captive and executed instead. Well, the tribal leader thought that that was a fair plan, and so he let Korah go free, and Hayward died by being burned at the stake. This awesome story may sound familiar to you because it was told in the 1992 film adaptation of Fenimore Cooper's novel, The Last of the Mohicans. Um, But in this story, if you've seen this movie, one of the things that that, that, that happens as you watch the movie is that your emotions get really involved. You know, as a guy, you're, you're interested in the fight. As a woman, you're, you're moved by the love story because here is this account of a man who was willing to die for someone that he loved. And as you watch that story unfold, Something within us begins to long and wonder if we were in a similar circumstance, would somebody step forward to die for us? You ever thought that as you watch a movie like that? I mean, if you're ever held hostage by a hostile group of Huron natives, um, have you ever thought what would happen? Would anybody step forward to be willing to die in your place? Some of you might be shaking your head, well, yeah, somebody would do that. Others of you going back and forth, no. No, I don't think there is anybody quite like that in my life. But the reality is that there is something within us that longs for that. We want to know that someone loves and cares for us enough to take that step. Well, the great news for us as believers in Christ is that we have someone who is willing to die in our place. And not just somebody who is willing to do it in some kind of a hypothetical sense, but somebody who has actually done it in real time when given the opportunity. See, Jesus Christ came and took the penalty that our sin deserved and died on the cross in our place so that we, like Korah, might be set free. And in that incredible gift that God has given us, through His Son, Jesus, demands some kind of response. I mean, as as we sit and reflect on the fact that, that God would love us in such a way, the natural question is, okay, so now what? What do I do in response to that? We saw last week in 1 John chapters 2 and 3 that what He commands is, what God commands is that we would respond by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at what it says in 1 John 3, 16 to 18. He says, By this we know love, that He laid down His life, meaning Jesus, for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And that incredibly challenging, incredibly convicting statement is how we left last week's message. We left letting the the full weight of that command, that appropriate response to God's love for us, just kind of work on us this week. Uh, If you're like me, you're asking, okay, God, what does this mean? What does it look like? How does this play out in my life? What does it look like for me to love others as you have loved me? 
Well, one of the things that's, that's, that's wonderful about the Word of God, and one of the things that's wonderful about the way that God communicates to us, is He doesn't just issue us these challenging commands and then leave us on our own to figure out what to do with it. See, when John wrote the book of 1 John, he did include that challenge in chapters 2 and 3, but he also included an incredible section of how this actually gets played out in 1 John chapter 4. He gives us the clue as to how this can actually be manifest in our lives that we can love others the way that he desires that they be loved. And we're going to look at that today from 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 to 12. So if you've got a Bible, open up to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Um, you, if you've looked on the back of your bulletin, it says that we're looking at verses 7 to 21 today, and you're like, that's some kind of a dyslexic moment on my part. No, it actually is 7 to 12. I, it's just, as we were going through the weekend, I just felt like God was encouraging me to, to take less of a section and focus on this. And so we're going to look just at verses 7 to 12 today. And as we see these, these verses, we're going to see three things that help us to understand how we are to see God's command for us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, how that might be uh, made manifest in our lives. Let's take a look. The first thing that we're going to see from 1 John 4 is found in verses 7 to 9, and it's just one word. It's, we are to resemble. We are to resemble we see it in these verses in this way, verses 7 to 9. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Now, in these verses... I think John is encouraging us to resemble our Heavenly Father's love. See, he, he writes this to people who have two things that are characteristic of them. The first is, he says that they are born of God in verse 7. What does it mean to be born of God? To be born of God in a, in a biblical understanding is to be a believer in Jesus Christ. John wrote in his gospel in John chapter 3 about an interaction that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus where Jesus said to Nicodemus that if anyone is to have a relationship with me, they must be born again. In other words, there must be a fundamental change in their orientation to life where they might have a new identity that is found in me and not in their past and not in, in, in who they are apart from me. So to say that somebody is born of God is to say that they are a believer in Jesus Christ. If you are somebody who is here today who has trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then this verse is talking to you and to me. It says the first thing about them is that they've been born of God. The second thing it says about them, though, is that they know God. They're born of God and they know Him. What does it mean to say that somebody knows God? What John was really getting at here is not just that they had an intellectual knowledge of God, but it was somebody who had an intimate fellowship with God. This is somebody that didn't just have a saving experience in their past. This was somebody who was relating to the Lord in a deep way in the present, who was spending their days walking in obedience to the Lord, who were seeking His direction and, and trusting in Him for all things and, and having this kind of fellowship relationship with God. 
to somebody who has been born of God and who knows God, John writes to them and says, hey, look, because you have been born of God, because you know God, you ought to resemble him. And and God is a God who is loving. Verse 8 says in very plain terms that God is love. The very essence and character of God is loving. This means that God's love is, is not just something that he does, it's something that he is. The very core of God, he is, he is loving, and, and this instructs everything that he does. He, he provides lovingly because he is love. He cares for us in a loving way because that is, that is who he is. He's defining the term by his very existence. He is love. Even when God judges, he judges in love. Because that is the very core part of the character of God. See, our Heavenly Father is one who is loving. And as people who have been born of God, who are now in a relationship with God, He's calling us to resemble our relationship to the Father by loving. If we spend time with the one who is loving, then we too ought to be loving to others. What's fascinating about this, this passage is He doesn't just say, Hey, spend time with God, you'll be loving to others. But he actually says that something supernatural has happened within the lives of those who who are born of God that makes it possible for them to love others in a way that otherwise would be impossible. And this happens because the same Jesus who lived on this earth, the same God who is loving, has come to reside within the life of a believer. We see this in verse 9 when he says at the end of that verse that we might live through him, that that our life is tied up and lived through Christ, that Christ desires to live his life through us. Uh, This is made possible, chapter 4, verse 13 tells us, because of the presence of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. He says, by this we know that and we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. The spirit of God is resident within the lives of believers. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then God's Spirit resides within you. And the Spirit of God is of the same character and essence and substance that Jesus is, that God the Father is. That means that there is a loving Spirit inside of you. This is not just an idea that is particular to John. It's an idea that's found elsewhere in the New Testament. Uh, Paul writes in the book of Galatians in chapter 2, Speaking of Christ living his life through us and us through him, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have the opportunity to live through Christ as we live out this life today because he is present within us. His spirit is present within us. And when his spirit is present, there are certain things we could expect to see. And Paul continues in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, in the famous section about spiritual fruit, when he says this, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And I think what all of these verses are telling us as we seek to resemble our Father, it is that, that if we are a believer in Christ, if we are born of God, that at the core of who we are, there's been a fundamental change. And God's Spirit is now present within us. And so when we seek to love others, 
within the body of Christ, we do so not just as people who seek to do good, but we do so as people who are producing through us what God has placed within us, and that is through His loving Spirit. See, when we became a believer, we were given a new identity that resembles the Father, and as we live a life dependent upon Him, others will be able to see that. You know, being, you know, resembling something is something that we're familiar with as it relates to family relationships, isn't it? We're just familiar with this concept. Uh, my wife, Kimberly, and I have a, a son, four-year-old son, Joshua, and, and uh, people at various times will, will mention to us that Joshua reminds them of us in some way. You know, oh, that's, that's so he, he's got his dad in him, he's got his mom in him, whatever. Um, this happens from people that have just met us. It also happens from uh, family. Uh, it happens from my mom. My mom has said on numerous occasions that, that my son reminds her of me. Uh, but what's funny is the context in which she says such things. Uh, my, my mom doesn't typically say, you know what, he reminds me so much of you when he's so loving and attentive and caring. He reminds me so much of you whenever he takes his dishes to the kitchen after he finishes. He reminds me so much of you whenever he scores a goal at the soccer game. He reminds me so much of you whenever he's so intelligent and charming and good-looking. I never hear that. But you know what I hear? He reminds me so much of you when he takes all the pillows off the couch and has a big fight where he's beating them up like they're superheroes and bad guys. Uh, that, he really reminds you of me in that, in, in, in that deal. I'm like, hey, thanks, Mom. Uh, you know, but, but the reality is that there's some truth in that, right? Uh, because there is a lot of me in him, there are things that will show forth in his life that will remind others of me. And the same thing is true of my wife. Part of that is the environment in which we grow up in. Part of it is just built into the DNA. And what this passage is indicating to us is that if, if we are born of God, then He is our Father, and there will be a resemblance in our life to Him because there is something that has happened to our spiritual DNA that is designed to show forth certain things, including loving our brothers and sisters. There's this, an illustration that maybe will help us clarify how this might be applied in our lives a little bit. Uh, it has to do with trees. Yeah, I don't know how many of you love the fall, but I love the fall. I mean, right now we'd all would love the fall, right? Just hurry it up, get there, just something, just, you know, 95 degrees outside. It feels like a cold front has come in. Give us the fall. But, but in the fall, um, you know, the, the leaves on trees begin to change, and these beautiful colors of, of red and yellow and orange and it's just awesome. I mean, some of you have like these autumn blaze maples in your yard, and they're just, just gorgeous that time of year. Um, you know, we used to have an oak tree in a, in a house that we previously lived in, and, that, and those leaves would turn red. It was just beautiful, beautiful uh, in the fall. But have you ever wondered why those leaves change in the fall? Uh, sometimes I've thought, well, you know, that's because they, they're, they're dying and, and they, just, they just go away. But the reality is that those leaves' natural color is red and orange and yellow. The only reason those leaves look green in the summer and in the springtime is because there is chlorophyll present in the situation. See, when chlorophyll comes into the trees, it makes the leaves appear green. It colors them 
green and everybody looks at it and says that tree is green no it's not that tree is yellow that tree is orange that tree is red the presence of the coral of the chlorophyll colors the tree to our perception and the reality is that as fallen people people whose true color is to go our own way and to do our own thing apart from god that that, that we have this new found presence of god within our lives that when we are living a life of dependence upon Him, it colors our life so that others could see it. When we are living a life of dependence upon Christ, our life is colored green with the love of God. And so the question that we have to ask by way of, of a challenge with this is, is this. Those around you, as they look at your life, do they have a sense that your life is colored by the love of how about those that live within your house? Maybe it's a roommate, maybe spouse, maybe it's your children or your, your parents. As, as people look at you, do they see that your life is colored with the love of Christ? This passage would indicate that as we live a life that is dependent upon Him, our life will be colored by the Spirit that resides within us. And if, if you hear that being said and you think, wow, what do I do with this? The appropriate response is not just to say, I'll do better. Because the reality is our true colors are orange, yellow, and red. We don't have the opportunity in and of ourselves to do the things that God has called us to do. And when we hear this, this call to, to love our brothers and sisters as Christ loves us, that's a terrifying statement. And we begin to get scared and nervous because we don't know how far it will go and how much it will cost and all these kinds of things. And we think, you know, we get, we get paralyzed by that. And we think, I'm not good enough to love that way. Maybe there's a, a Mother Teresa out there that can do it, but I can't. When we begin to think like that, we need to just stop for a moment. And realize that the love that God desires to show through us is not something He desires for us to just produce on our own. It's something He has already placed deep down inside of us. It's not a matter of personality. It's not a matter of gifting. It's a matter of spiritual presence. And if you're a believer in Christ, then you have a spirit within you that has the capacity to love as Christ loved because it's the same spirit that is His. And when we begin to think that we can't, we need to just pause for a moment and say, I can't, but He can. Dear Lord, love through me in a way that I cannot do on my own. Color my life with Your Spirit that resides within me. That's what the spiritual fruit conversation is all about. As we depend upon Him, He will show forth His fruit in our lives. See, the first thing that this passage indicates is that we are to resemble our Heavenly Father. But he goes on and says some other things. He doesn't just ask us to resemble, but he also asks us to respond. To respond. We see this in verses 10 and 11. They say this of chapter 4. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, this, these two verses indicate that our love for others is a response. It's the appropriate response to God's love for us. Our, our love for others is not something that, that is just our idea. A group of Christians in the first century didn't get together and huddle up and say, we've got to have a calling card. We've got to have something that will make people think we're good folks. I know, let's be loving. 
It's not just a matter of human reason. It's not something that has originated with us. But love among those within the body of Christ is something that has its origin in God himself. And God demonstrated his love by sending his son to die for us, to take the penalty. That's what propitiation means, to satisfy God's anger towards us, to pay the penalty for our sins. You see, our love for each other is a response to God's love for us. What God desires that we do with the intense love that He has for us is that it wouldn't become some stagnant pool within our lives. You know, people are concerned a lot of times in families of wealth about second-generation money. You know, one generation works hard, builds a business, invests well, whatever, makes all this money, and then the second generation inherits it. And there's, there's many times a fear that this second generation that inherits this blessing will feel that all of that is just for them to enjoy. And regardless of how uh, giving and, and altruistic the first generation was, there's a fear that the second generation will see all of the bounty just for them. And I think as believers in Christ, we need to be mindful that we don't view God's blessings as just for us. See, God loved us and demonstrated that love in a significant way, not just so that we would feel loved. I mean, He definitely wants that. He wants us to feel loved. But He wants us to also reflect that love back out to others. He wants us to respond to His love by loving those that He loves. And Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 18 that that helps us to understand a little bit more about this. See, in Matthew 18, Jesus tells this story where he he talks about a a master who has a servant who owes his master a lot of money. And the servant uh, comes in, and the master asks him to pay, and the servant can't, and he pleads and begs. And the master says, okay, I will forgive you the debt that you owe me. And that servant leaves the master's presence, and rather than feeling thankful for what he had been forgiven, he goes out and tries to collect from another servant that owed him a sum of money. Well, the master hears about that, and he calls the first servant back into his presence, and he's just furious with him. And this is what he says in Matthew 18, verses 32 and 33. It says, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? See, the idea is that one who has been forgiven much should be forgiving to others. One who has been loved much, in the language of 1 John 4, should be loving to others in return. One who has been provided for should be providing for. See, the natural response or the supernatural response to God's love and provision for us is for us to turn and deal with others in a similar fashion. That's what God desires from us. And you think of a picture of what that might even look like, uh, I'm going to use another reference from a 1990s movie, just because. Just um, but, but there's a, a movie that came out in, in the 90s. It was an adaptation of the Victor Hugo novel, uh, Les Miserables. No, Les Miserables. And, and in, that, in that story, um, there is a man named Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean escapes from prison, and he needs money, and so he's staying with a priest who has opened his home to him, and he he steals some candlesticks from the priest. And and after he's taken these candlesticks from the priest, the priest catches him, and the authorities show up. And the priest has the opportunity to lower the boom on Jean Valjean, but instead of lowering the boom on him, what he says to him is he says, look, 
It's okay. Take the candlestick, sell them, and use that money to make a difference in your life, but pass this on, blessing on to others. And Jean Valjean does that. He spends the rest of his life being this incredible altruistic figure, helping many, many in a town and in a family and all this stuff. Jean Valjean does. And what he did was that he was dealt with in a loving, kind way, a provision kind of a way, and then he dealt with others in a similar fashion. And the reality is that that's what God desires from us. God desires from you and me that we would deal with others as he has dealt with us. And and that means that we should make our default position be to love others. Now, on my computer, I've, I've got various printers, but I've got a default printer. When I go to print, there's one particular thing that will pop up as the default to print to. Um, And I think in our lives, we need to make the default response to believers in need to be one of of loving and caring for them. So many times, we we don't have that as the default. We have as the default to, to, to avoid or to ignore or whatever. I mean, I'm speaking to myself in this. But what I get from this passage is that, that we're being challenged to make the default reaction to the presence of other believers to love and to care and to provide for them just as God has provided for us. See, we're to resemble, but we're also to respond. And the third thing that we're to do, though, is that we are to reveal. We're to reveal. Uh, we see this in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 12. He says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, I wrestled long and hard with this verse this week in terms of what exactly uh, God intended us to get from this. What, is, what, is this. what does this mean? What's he getting at? Why is he talking about how God is invisible? But as, as I've wrestled through this, I, I think this is the idea. You know, we, we all have a desire to see God. Don't you have a desire to see God? We're fascinated by the passages of Scripture, you know, Isaiah chapter 6 or Revelation chapter 4 and 5, where they're in the very presence of God. Uh, We would long to be in the present in the first century when Jesus was walking along so we could see what God in the flesh looked like. We have a desire to see God, but the reality is that in God's fullness and full glory, nobody has ever seen Him. In other words, God has always revealed Himself in some kind of a shielded fashion to people because we simply couldn't handle it otherwise. And, and right now, as we live in this world, there, you know, God is not visible in the way that we normally think of God being visible. But God can still be seen. The invisible can be visible as His people love. It says at the end of verse 12 that God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Literally, in the original language, it says... God's love is perfected among us. God's love is made full among us. The abiding presence of God is is present within believers as they love one another. If you want to see God, this passage would indicate that the way that we see God today is being among believers in Christ who are exhibiting love towards one another. God shows up in those moments. Have you ever had a friend that you spent time with when you just feel like as you talk about things and you're challenging each other, that God just kind of shows up in that moment. You ever had experiences like that? Um, it can happen on the telephone. It can happen when you're physically present. It can happen in a small group or whatever. But, but you're, in a, you're in a conversation with somebody. God just kind of shows up in that moment. You know what's happening? 
The invisible is being made visible as God's love is perfected among us. If you want to see God, then get in community with others where you're loving them. I've got a friend right now who's incarcerated, and we're able to talk on the phone um, a little bit every week. And, but one of the things that, that, that uh, blows me away about our time is we're, we're talking on this grainy payphone and, and all this stuff. But, but one of the things that's, that's fascinating to me about it is that God just shows up in that moment. You know, he, before, he's like, thanked me for my time. I'm like, what are you thanking me for? This is a blessing to be able to talk and to see God show up in the moment of this conversation as we just relate to one another in Christ. When we love others, God just shows up. This is why uh, if if you're not involved in some kind of Christian community, you you need to get involved. Whether that be through a Sunday morning group or some home groups that we're going to start in August and September, but begin to get connected because as you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, God shows up. We have an opportunity to reveal the presence of God in this world. Well, as we prepare to close, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And as they're coming up to lead us in our closing song, I want to just mention one verse of the song that we're going to sing, a line that we're getting ready to sing. We're going to sing this song, Mighty to Save, and it focuses on God's incredible love for us. And it focuses on how He has reached out to save us. And and as we sing those parts, I want you to think about the appropriate response to His love for us is to love others. But then as we get near the end of the song, we're actually going to sing that we are to shine our light for the whole world to see. Shine our light to reveal the glory of the risen King. God is present among His people as they love one another. Uh, Please stand.